With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and celebrity interviews live from the grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing fantastic, Neil. How are you? Fantastic. And our guest today, I'm so excited. Uh, we all know her as Hot Lips Houlihan, Loretta Swit. Uh, Loretta, thanks for stopping by. How are you? I'm terrific. Thank you. Just terrific. All right, Loretta. Let's kind of jump right into this specifically enough. And tell me specifically enough uh, a little bit about how you got your big break with MASH. How did that happen? Oh, I wish it was an exciting story. I was already doing uh, leads on television and, and really uh, important shows, the, the big shows of that era. Gunsmoke, one of the longest lasting our programs and a great, you know, Jim Arnaz, that whole, that whole set, the, the cast and um, <clears throat> Millie Stone. Anyway, that Maddox, Jim, uh, Mike Connors, very popular, very, very warm, wonderful actor. And um, Hawaii Five-0, I did about three of them. So, so I was there and, um, <laughs> what did they say? We're there at the right time. Uh, it was a good time for me because this was going to be on CBS. I had just done a um, a leading role on a new show with Glenn Ford called Cades County, and we did it at Fox, and it was for CBS. So the people there involved uh, were not unfamiliar with me or my work. Which was which was wonderful because they were fans, and so when when the uh, show, the idea of the show and, and so forth came up, uh, I was uh, the top of the list to, to meet with for the role. I was in Hawaii with Jack Lord. I was doing a two-part Hawaii show, and uh, I missed all the kind of flap and hubbub that you know about the show. They saw, I've told hundreds of uh, people, women, and um, when I came back, I was it was sort of at the tail end of casting. I remember my, uh, here's a piece of trivia. I was going to say, my agent said, have you seen MASH? And I said, no. And he said, oh, wonderful. Well, anyway, you know, but um, I, I, I never saw it. I hadn't seen the film. And then I got the part, so I thought, well, I'm not going to see it now. You know, not, I don't want to see it now. And so I, I've never seen the film. <laughs> it's kind of a really funny piece of trivia. Um, so I went up and met Gene Reynolds and Larry Gelbart. Um, none of us could have expected to be a part of the phenomenon that MASH has become, but... Because I, I, I think I would have been very nervous. <laughs> I think I think would have been very nervous, but I was not. I had fun. They were fun. Everybody was relaxed. There was no script. There was no script. You were going up for a job that wasn't created yet. <laughs> I said it's uh, it's kind of getting a, a, an interesting sort of story now. But um, I there was nothing. Um, exciting or different it was just going up to see these people about a job so to speak and then and and they liked me they um 
my agent knew that I was strong up for the role. And we had a, um, a, a, a film. We had an offer for a film at Universal. And the dates conflicted with the shooting of the pilot. So my agent called and said um, um, they, they should let him know as soon as they've decided because we have an offer that is a good one. It was a um, wonderful film. So um, um, they said, and when he made the call out of courtesy, Gene Reynolds took the call and said, this is amazing. We were just going to call you. We've decided to go with Loretta. And that was it. <laughs> I told you it wasn't a great story. It just, it, I went for a job and I got it. <laughs> you know, uh, but I, I do think um, I was uh, very, very blessed by, by um, um, being known uh, by not the network and the studio and, uh, all, all, play, all people considered. All they all thought, gee, you know, Loretta Swift would be great in this role, or whatever they, whatever they thought. But I mean, it was, um, wow, great, you know. Well, that's fantastic, and I know I really enjoyed watching, you know, you and the rest of the crew on those shows over the years. Um, do, do you have any like fun stories? You know, I, I love to ask people, uh, you know, behind the scenes. You guys are acting. You probably have some great stories. What's one story that might stick out? Come on. Rethink that question. 11 seasons with the butts of this, this great bunch of men. Uh, do I have any fun stories? Are you serious? Is that a serious question? It, it was serious. I, I asked for what's the one that sticks out the most in your mind, Loretta? What? Good, great. Every day was a fun story. <laughs> um, we were, were all, then and now, such close friends, family. It was a pleasure to, to go to work, in quotes, work. You know, you're doing what you love with people you care about. <laughs> and you're working with people who are incredible. There, it didn't come better than Larry Gelbart, for example. What a What a talent gene reynolds with his wealth of experience and so i can go on and on about people they were just best the best you couldn't help but uh, be infected by that doing your best work you're working on material that you loved you i it, no, it was really um a blessing we i i've always called it the miracle of mash in my in my art book uh, i give a uh, um, page to mash and I, I have a beautiful lithograph that was given to us on the 10th year, the 10th uh, anniversary. And uh, we, it was a surprise. We did not pose for the painting and, um, and it's beautiful. And um, it's in my art book where I talk about the phenomenon that it became uh, just, uh, and yet, Thinking back, I remember the first couple of days when we were just meeting and getting together and so forth. It was, there was magic around. I just, everybody fell in love. It was, it was so beautiful to, um, to be with people you loved every day and uh, and doing what you thought was a wonderful, a wonderful show, a wonderful job. I remember Wayne one day said, um, people say to him, he said they say. Keep up the good work. And he said, Loretta, I feel like I'm on a football team or something. But um, the audience so appreciated uh, the, the ensemble and, and the work and the, um, uh, the talent involved. And I, it was just uh, a miracle, a beautiful little miracle. I, all of us feel that way, by the way. I'm echoing so many things that we have as a group discussed with interviewers we all felt blessed by this happening these particular people coming together at that particular time with those predictions those particular production values and those particular gifted writers and you know it was it was uh i call it the miracle of mash it's just uh 
and I and I feel strongly about that still, many years later. You know, and that's so interesting when you talk about the miracle of Mash. The show in general, it it was so popular. What do you think made it so popular that you know the finals final episode drew such an audience? What do you think made people talk so much about the show? And you have so many fans from years and years that it just continues to live on, Mash. Uh, yes, it is. Um, uh, it has been passed on from generation to generation. So you start getting um, uh, very soon afterwards. You start getting letters from children of children and children's children of children, and it keep and it continues. My mom, my grandma, my would always watch a sh- and we would sit and watch the show and they'd say, watch this, watch this. And so the grandparents and then the great-grandparents, uh, and it was like a torch getting passed along. I call it um, the Global Mash family, but it really is. It's uh, uh, globally so uh, popular, not only popular, but revered, revered, and they feel about the cast, about the, those people, and I don't say characters because, you know, even though we were playing characters, they were real people in that situation. They just uh, relate to us. They, you know, when, when we finished the show, we'd get letters about what everybody thought would happen to each individual character on the show, and I think this would happen, and it, it, the, our mail was just so beautiful. There were things that just um, should should have been published, you know. I mean, they're just beautiful things that people got from the messages in the show. And I think they tackled some very uh, innovative problems that, that hadn't been touched before. And at, at any rate, uh, there's just this one particular thing that I want to tell you about. And it was towards the end of the show, the last maybe weeks, we had a kind of big billboard where we started to tack up our mail so that everybody could share it. You know, if I got a piece of mail, it was to me, but it was about all of us. Anyway, we wanted to share that with the cast. And so there was this one simple note. And, um, it read, Dear MASH people, thank you. Thank you for the laughs and the tears. Thank you for letting me feel. And that said it for me. People felt. They turned on the, the, the show and they didn't know what to expect. We were always a little bit of a surprise. They didn't know if they were going to laugh or cry, or do both simultaneously, which is really a feat. And I just, uh, we, we all felt very close to our audience, and it became family, and it continues to this day. It did, the, the mail still reflects that. The autograph shows, Jamie and I attend a lot of the autograph shows, and it is beautiful. The, the, their response talking about this that you know that show and they're still quoting this it's it's a a family and it's a phenomenon and i have to tell you it's a beautiful way to live to hear those things from people people elderly people telling me how much i influenced their lives how many nurses out there became nurses because of margaret houlihan because being influenced by her, her ambition, her integrity, her power, her strength, her flaws, her humor, her all of it. And, it, and I speak for me, for my character, but everybody, all the characters in the show, uh, my God, Jamie, people worship this man. I mean, it just is, and I cannot think of, any other actors that who could have like do could do Klingy, Klinger or uh, um, I, it, they were just Bill Christopher. I used to tell Bill that his portrayal of Father Mulcahy, I was convinced 
that he actually brought people back to the church. You know, <laughs> he was just, he was the kind of priest you want to have. You want to feel like you meet him, you have a drink, and you can talk to him. You can tell him this, that, or the other thing about yourself without feeling that it was a, quote, confession. You know, he was just uh, remarkable. And uh, and I felt that way. Gary, oh, gosh, that... You know, he was married with children when he's doing radar, and and I always thought I was talking to a little kid. <laughs> he just was, he was little radar and young, and the youngest, the baby, and the, and um, he was always, always in character. In a a shoot with the six of us, let's say, uh, there was an expression that Robert Wise used for shooting Julie Andrews. He said, are you doing a crowd scene? When in doubt, cut to Julie. Because she was 150% always there, you know, not saying anything or doing anything, but she, and that was, that was Gary Burgo. He's just so total. Yeah. Whether he was fixing his glasses or his little radar cap, he was never out of character on that set. It was just... Is amazing, and that, and I can, I have little stories like that about each of those people that I that I worked with, and they're, they're just so special. Alan and Mike, and 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 then of course the people we lost were body blows. I mean, Harry Morgan. If you had to say to the cast when we were flying, uh, who? Okay, we know you all love each other, but who's your favorite? Come on, who's your favorite? We wouldn't have any problem about that. Everybody would say Harry. Mm. Everybody would say Harry. I know they would. Uh, and because he was everything to all of us. He was father. He was priest. He was confessor. He was colleague. He was, I mean, and of course, his acting chops. He could he could turn you from laughter to tears in a, in a second. That was his thing, his trade. This is what he did. And uh, remember, we did a, a show about um, an oath that he and his comrades from World War One had made. They had a bottle of 100-year-old brandy, and they passed it from one to the other as they demised. And he comes back to MASH after uh, being in Tokyo. And he has this box with him and he invites invites us into his tent to toast his fallen comrades now there's harry of a certain age of an incredible experience in the era of movie making he had done 110 movies black and white mostly and mostly classic movies he just was his, his, the list of movies that that he was in these and and all of these great familiar actors, the, the you know the Henry Fondas and the John Howdyacks, yeah. this incredible resume. He had done something like seven or eight television series. So his wealth of of being was with us. He was like a treasure. He was a, a treasury. And that that uh, and his humor. I can tell you, Mike Farrell. <laughs> We were all in Harry's office. It was the last shot of the day. <laughs> and Harry was his inimitable self, making us laugh so hard. And Mike was lying on the floor with tear, tears rolling down his cheeks. I mean, it, it, it just, you had to be there. <laughs> yeah, no. But, uh, yeah. You know, and this was, so when you say, do you have any, uh, any little funny stories or something? You know, we have Loretta. Memories. You, Loretta, you nailed it. You nailed it with some stories. Now, Greg, what are your memories of Mash growing up watching it, Greg? Well, <laughs> just enjoying it every day, which was great. I, I got to see it when it was airing, and I got to see the reruns, you know, later in college. Um, so it was just always there, you know. What, especially in college, you know, I always had the TV on. We'd go to the dorm, and it was just always playing. So it was just always, always kind of like having a home away from home, if you would, because it was something that was very familiar and very comfortable growing up, you know, that, that I enjoyed watching with my, uh, my siblings and, and my parents. 
Um, so very fond memories about it. The thing about the memories when, like, for example, your experience, Greg, you were watching it, re-watching it, you had a different experience from the first time because you were now revisiting with a family member or an old, old friend or, or, or that gal that you had a crush on growing up. But our, our revisiting was like going back to see an old friend. And that's why this kind of um, family thing, this familial uh, global mesh family, um, people have memories attached to the experience of watching the show that is so, so incredibly touching and moving and in some cases um, influencing as, as in getting a job of being a nurse because they admired nurses in MASH or, you know. Uh, I had um, a letter, it was quite early in the run too, from a woman uh, who said that uh, her dad uh, left them kind of early in his life, in her life, and, and her mother had nothing. And her mother worked two jobs and uh, had very little time left over and when she was home, was pretty tired from working all day and part, partly into the evening. And, and so she said, um, Mom did her best, but uh, you became my big sister when I watched this show. And uh, I became a nurse. I'm married now, happily, with kids who watch the show with me. Mm. So, uh, and it, but the, she, 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 she had a touch of the poet. I'm only telling you the story, but she wrote a beautiful letter about feeling that she could go to Mash, go to the Four of Simpsons, because it was her safe place. She called it her haven, her safe place. She felt comfortable with the people, her family. It became her ersatz family, you know. And so, and and those thoughts reflect themselves in so many pieces of mail. This feeling I could go there and be safe. I could go there and feel comfortable, laugh, cry. Yeah. You know, uh, cry or tears, and not necessarily negative. Sometimes that is the outpouring of uh, outpouring of a great um, emotion and and positive emotion, good feelings, and um, that's that's quite an exchange that we had with our audience and continue to have. It can be seen as it was like that old joke somewhere. Let's have a drink. It's early now. Somewhere the sun is going down over the yard arm. Well, somewhere, as we're talking right now, somewhere, MASH is on the air. Oh. And somebody is watching it and feeling they've gone home to the old neighborhood and seen old friends. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a very special glorious yeah. happening all right loretta you're going to unveil a new jewelry at the international gem and jewelry show to raise money for animal charities in uh, dulles expo center on friday may 19th to sunday may, may 21st 19, 2021 correct mm -hmm. uh it's not um it's not a line uh and um it's my charity, my charity, and yes, uh, uh, the name of my charity is Sweetheart Animal Alliance. Alliance is the operative word there. So I, um, every all the monies that that come in from the art book, I have my second printing of the art book, which contains I think something like seventy paintings of mine, watercolors, and um, the sale price is uh it depends if you're getting it on online at 60 dollars. well uh that money to the penny goes into the treasury of sweetheart animal alliance as does photographs that i sign or whatever that i'm, I'm signing um the jewelry 
and the same will apply my perfume, which is um, a rounded a bottle that is, they call it a glide. It, it glides on your, your pulse. It's a glider. And it's, I'm very proud of it. I love it. I wear it. I, I, I wouldn't try to sell something that I didn't love or use or wear, you know. Uh, and so uh, the perfume will, will be there. It's Sweetheart, and it's available again online at my website, as is the book and now the jewelry. It's, it's I think, going to go further and maybe develop into a couple more items. At the moment, uh, the necklaces are making their big debut at the gem show. And people at the International Gem and Jewelry Show are dear friends. There's another one of my families, and uh, they're very proud about uh, presenting my uh, my jewelry, my my necklaces. And um, there will be a ring, and there will be matching earrings. So those are coming. There, it's a it's a development as as the needs for the animals of our planet that they develop their needs and. But we have had major successes too. But it covers all all animals, all sentient beings, because it's not just the little lap dog. It is the farm animal, and it is our service dogs. And, and one of my alliances helps bring them back from Afghanistan, for example, and they go into a place for recycling in Texas also, again, an alliance. And and we need money to do all this. We need facilities to help them. They come back with PTSD. People don't realize yeah. that it's, it's going to be the same for that animal. We're animals. We, we, we have the same experiences. And uh, only we can help them too, or do something about helping them. But look what they do for us. They go out there and save lives. Uh, the search and rescue dogs are part of my, my alliance. These, these, these teams, these wonderful guys and girls who take their, their, their uh, searchers out, their, their wonderful animals, and go into all the um, crisis areas of the world and sniff out people buried under earthquake and there or in fires or you know uh, they're remarkable yeah. remarkable people and or beings the dogs and, and the people the teams they're remarkable so i can go on and on yeah. but just recently the guide dogs of israel are my alliance also i got a beautiful picture of a a young man who was hugging his dog, Michelle, her name is, and he was thanking me and my alliances for making that possible. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I And now I have a friend and I can see the light through her. And how do I thank you for, in a, in part, the quote was, do you know the impact you all have made on my life? Well, wow. You know, it doesn't get better than that, that that this group of activists have helped this man in a country we won't go to necessarily or ever meet him necessarily. We have impacted his life in a way that is miraculous. So so um, that's what I'm all about with the charity. So my charity is with our uh, Animal Alliance and, and up of that alliance, and all of this is in the art book. At the last page, uh, we have a list of the people I help with. Why do we, like MSPCA, two of my rescues that I live with now are from the uh, MSPCA. So so it's um, a wonderful, breathtaking, terrific energy Fantastic. that we have brought to rescue, placement, helping, changing, make, making things better. You know, so I'm, I'm very, very proud of the charity. Oh, my. I'm just. Oh, I'm so, yeah, I'm proud of you for sure, Loretta, what you've been able to accomplish. Greg is a huge animal lover. Uh, is not true, Greg, with what you do for animals as well? Oh, what's That's, it is true. It is true. I, I do love animals. No, but very, you, very, you've done some raising heart. money, too. <laughs> so tell us about how you've helped raise money for animals, Greg, with your dad, with your dog. 
I'm sorry, Neil. I, I, you broke up. What'd you say? No, I said you've helped raise money for animals or with for for dog um, with your dog, right? With specific causes with your dog, using your dog to help raise money. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, we've gone on TV a bunch of times together. Um, so I, I currently I, I have two dogs right now. I have German Shepherd Teddy, um, who's just an amazing dog. is is the most gentle and most amazing German wow. Shepherd I've ever had, and I've had had a few, and. Uh, people just take to him. So, um, you know, my sister has uh, a couple of Dobermans that are grand champions and, you know, hers, we take to hospitals, uh, to kids, you know, to help them oh, at the yeah, cancer no, wards. And working dogs in hospitals. Yeah. My mom, my mom was at the motion picture home in California and twice a week, uh, a mob, if you will, a herd would come in with their handlers and these dogs they'll, they'll jump on your lap somebody's in a wheelchair you know, jump on your lap and they're licking their faces and i have to tell you the ama have have confessed that this is an irreplaceable medicine they can't do as well with a pill or a drop of medicine these dogs come in and give the love to these people unconditionally you get licked and, and loved and that's it's uh, that's great yeah it's, so it's time for everybody in my charity so that we think it's time to start giving back oh it's well past time and i'm not saying it's uh that we just thought of this idea but uh you know um the care and, and enlightenment, really, the, the plight of animals, it is, it's not a recent thing, but it's been growing and growing, and now it's gotten to a place where we really, really understand yeah. uh, how, we, how we can help each other. Fantastic. Know? Fantastic. Greg has a final question he asks all of our celebrities. Go ahead, Greg, with your question. Yeah, Loretta, it's, it's been a real pleasure uh, speaking with you and getting to know you a bit. Um, but, Loretta, for everyone... Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, what do you feel is the most important thing you've ever learned? To reach out and take care of each other. I would have to say, uh, and, and, and uh, I think I was also affected by how the nurses do this, how our medical people do this how our firefighters do this i mean i the most important thing i i really that in my heart and soul that the women and men men out there in this world are my brothers and sisters i'm going to love them and take care of them as best i can i'm going to reach out i'm going to do what i can to make everybody's life as as great as it can be as as easy and and happy and and wonderful as life can be life our life is the greatest gift we have let's let's enjoy it love it live it to to its fullest but in the best possible way that we can and uh and i think reaching out and helping each other and and knowing that knowing that everybody is a brother and a sister and i know that sounds very kind of um evangelical but in the truest sense of the word, where, where I get, uh, I tell you about the male who feels their family. But we are. We are a global family. And we need to implement that. Reach out and help each other. Love each other. Be good to each other. And make the whole place better and great. You know, Absolutely. we can do it. We can. We can do it. I have seen it. I have lived it. I I know it's a fact, and and I I think that's probably in too many words. But that was that would be the one thing overall that we have. We have such power to do that. We, we appreciate it. it. I appreciate it, Loretta. Thanks again. Everyone needs to check out the information uh, about the event at intergem.com. I appreciate it so much, uh, Loretta, for you stopping by. Oh, thanks so much. And I hope everyone who hears our message comes to see, a, see me at the GEM show. And and I'm also, I'll be appearing at an autograph show with Mr. Farr, with Mr. Famous Jamie Farr. And that is in Philadelphia coming up 
the first weekend in May. Right. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of my family. Right. My global family is going to be in my life very shortly. Thank you, Loretta. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Loretta. All right, well. guys, that was Celebrity Interviews. You too. That was Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also uh, the Love Is Celebrity Podcast. I'm excited to welcome from Kim Sorrell, author of Love Is. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about your guest, our guest, and I'm excited about the film because I'm a huge fan of George Foreman. <laughs> I mean, again, he's a gentle giant like myself, who's 6'10", Kim, so this is kind of like, you know, I'm a little taller than George, but I, I always loved him as a boxer. Yeah, right. What a classy guy, right? So uh, with an interesting life. So yes, Neil, I'm doing great. Good to see you. And I am very excited about our guest, George Tillman Jr., who is a wave maker, a groundbreaker, I am so impressed, George, with your resume, the things that you have done. You have uh, done some things to really pave the way for some incredible films uh, that are um, wonderful for the black community, even though I hate to say they're films for the black community, but some of the films you've done, certainly that's the, you've drawn so much traffic from that. But I feel like we're, turning a corner and things are becoming more for everybody and you've done just some incredible things this george foreman obviously i mean everybody's interested in george foreman and his career and that had to be an experience but i'm so curious about you because here you are this chicago guy i'm from michigan midwestern and uh won some awards you've just you've just done it i'm just so impressed with everything that you've done uh, the stories that you portrayed, you know, just talking about real people and real lives and, and making people feel like they're part of the story. So welcome, welcome, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having, having me. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So this, what it, what's been big for you? Like, I'm just curious. I mean, it, just because you've done so much and so much good and uh, tearing down walls and the first of this and the first of that, which should have happened years ago, but you made it happen. And uh, what's what do you consider your biggest achievement? Like what's made you just pursue, pursue, pursue? Well, you know, just from watching other, you know, like you were saying, I love telling stories that can really help entertain first, but then help other people. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I saw Barry Levinson film Avalon, and Avalon was about his family as immigrants moving to America. I was so blown away, even though that family was about the Jewish immigrants, and I just felt like it was very inspiring for me to tell my story with Soul Food about my family after Sunday dinners, after coming from church, my grandmother doing all the cooking. And even though it was African-American characters, it was fun and it was for everybody. So that's what I always wanted to do with tell stories of, uh, that can move people, get people to change their life and get people to think. So that keeps me going every movie. You know what I mean? So that's how I've been feeling as a director. And what do you think as a director kind of putting your whole vision into it, specifically enough of some of the films you've done, TV shows you've done to kind of put your stamp on it as a director? Because that's the thing that people don't understand is a director takes the writer, producer, everybody put this together and make it a vision, your vision, when it finally goes on, on, on film or on TV, right? Yeah, I think the key is the stamp is what are you trying to say? You know, like the film I did years ago with Robert De Niro, Cuba Gooding Jr., Men of Honor. That was about the first African-American Navy diver. And that whole thing is about, you know, never giving up and really choosing that. And that's what's sitting down with the individual and putting in what is the theme that people can walk away. So with George Foreman, the new movie, I was sat down with George and I was like, wow, change is it's a powerful thing for him. So that was the stamp that I was able to put on this film. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I am so excited. It's coming out very soon. I am sure that it's gonna do great. You've got some wonderful cast going and it is just an incredible story. This man that 
was an angry guy, right? I mean, he was a pretty angry guy, which maybe as a boxer you need to be, I don't know. But uh, he changed his life, just changed completely. It seems like uh, that would be a difficult thing to really grab hold of in just a couple hours on film. What, what was that like? That was amazing because it was true. When I was a kid, I was rooting for Ali in the Foreman versus Ali. I wanted Ali to beat the big, bad George Foreman. And then, like, years later after college, I'm rooting for him to fight Michael Moore. Was yeah. like, he's a nice guy. Is this the same guy who created the grill? You know? And then when I when I sat down with him, it's just that, that experience in Puerto Rico that we have in the movie when he fought um, Jimmy Young. He, he People say he had heat stroke. George said it was more. I died and I came back. I saw something different that completely changed my life. And that experience was the one thing he said, you got to get right in the movie. That was the most important thing that he wanted to make sure was right. And from there, he started believing in other things other than himself. He became selfish to selfless. So I love that importance of how to change that really made me look at myself but at the same time, I had a great time as a director. I had all these great fights with Ali. I mean, George did some crazy things where he fought five guys in one ring to prove I'm just as bad as Ali. Those are some interesting things about the journey in life, you know? And I think he saw, specifically enough, when he made that change, how Ali loved people. And he had to do the same in a way, but in a, di in a different transformation. George Foreman's way different than Ali in so many ways. What did George tell you about his like what he thought of Ali and also specifically enough, did he take any of his charisma later on and and kind of not copy it, but emulate some of it? I think what was going on was he felt like during the fight, he I said, were you afraid of Ali? He says, no, I wasn't afraid of Ali. I was afraid of Joe Frazier. And I said, really? But you knocked Joe Frazier out six times. He said, but that was the problem. I was afraid of him. I wasn't afraid of Ali. I really believe that I can get him with one punch. And he just kept going on and on and on. I couldn't believe he was still around in the eighth round. And he said one of the things that he learned, and I have it in the movie, is, is, is a moment right before the fight, George is putting his hand on the ropes, and he looks underneath his arms to look at Ali, and Ali is praying. You know, he's being spiritual. And I think the spirituality is what really woke him up and really saw to get him something to have a pattern in his life. You know, and I think that's something that uh, we all need sort of in our own lives, just to believe, to help, to think better. And I think that's what made him more lovable. A different spirit was just there. I, I love that. I love that. And I, I totally agree. It's uh, a whole different life when you are interested when you're open, when you're seeking, when you know that there's more to life. And early on in this interview, you mentioned the dinners, Sunday dinners after church and and the things of that your family did. And so uh, faith is, is a thing apparently in your family's life and something that you grew up with and then something that's been such a big part of George's life. So how did you how did you relate to all that? I was able to relate when I really sat down and I really started breaking down the movie into the physicality in terms of why things happen. I really wasn't able to figure out and it all came down to one thing. If you really look back when George Foreman fought Ali in 1974, at that point, Ali already lost to Frazier. He already was slower. He was a different fighter. And George is 25, 24, 25 at the time, strong, young, knocked everybody out. How would Ali was able to do that, a belief. And then at 46, George was able to do the thing. You know, and a kid coming from the fifth ward with nothing, his whole family had to eat one burger. They had to share their food. Oh and the teacher wouldn't even look at him because of how he was dressed. And then later, this guy would be the heavyweight champion and a grill guy who's successful. Faith, belief in something. Um, and I have to remind that of myself. Every time I do a movie, I'm like, oh, wow, can I get through this? You know, this movie is so hard. Just keep believing, keep pushing. So that was the thing that came down to one single thing, as you just talked about, Kim. You just have to believe and put it into something else that can make you get through this and win. Totally. Now, Kim has a question she asked all our celebrity guests about love. She wrote a book about love. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah. So, um, Georgia, I was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago. And then four months later, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died six weeks after that. And it made me question some things. And the real meaning of love was one of them. That seems to be this 
you know, I don't know. I think you put 10 people in a room, you can get two, 10 different answers to what love is. And so I, I lived it out and wrote a book about it. Love is. And so love is, is huge. Love's universal and love's involved in everything. And I, I know it's gotta be a big part of your life because, uh, your passion has got to come from love, right? Am I right about that? Like, what what is love to you? Love is, to me, and it's something that, you know, I've been thinking about for the last 12 months, you know, because when you make a movie, it takes a lot of people around you. You can't do it by yourself. And love is continuing to open yourself up to other people's flaws, other people's successes, other people's happiness, other people's sadness. And it's a continuing thing. To learn how to forgive is a continuing thing as well. And that's something I've been learning is not let things drag me down. Just happy, be happy. I have to remind myself, be happy where you are. I always look at another director and I say, I want to be better. I want to be like him. It's just like, just be happy what life has provided. Enjoy each day as it comes. It's just hard. Love is taking each day and making the best out of it and making everybody and yourself happy around it. That's how I'm learning every day. You know, that's powerful. I love that. Now, George, what is your goal for the film? What do you want the film to achieve the most? Like you want people to learn most from this film? Well, first of all, I mean, George said he wanted, only reason he wanted to do the movie so people can be able to take his story and see that there's something else out there other than self. And I really, truly want people to come to this movie, April 28th. You know, first of all, it's always hard sometimes. Um, you got these big Marvel movies. So I'm always competing with the big Marvel movies. So everybody, please come out. But when you come out to see the movie, you will walk away in believing that anything is really possible, no matter how obstacles are. Just keep pushing, keep trying, and keep loving. And I think George became a champion, not because... He wanted the material things because he was doing it for the right reasons. That's what I want people to walk away. And the movie is made for all families. You know, I made it it's PG-13. I made it for everyone to come because a lot of people know George as the grill, but they don't know him as the boxer. Many people didn't know that he was a minister. So mm -hmm. that's a big life. And I really want people to really be surprised. That's fantastic. And yeah. and so you said April 28th, it premieres. Is it going to be in theaters for a while or how's it working? Yeah, it's going to be in theaters everywhere. April 28th, the more people talk and go see the movie, the more it'll stick around. We want to stick around in the theaters before it goes to, uh, you know, the streaming service. So please tell everybody to come see the movie. We appreciate it, George. Thanks, Kim. All right. All right, that was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show, and love is, take care, guys. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Neil. How about yourself? I'm doing Great fantastic. Speaking to our guest. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, he's played on many different professional football teams. He has a tremendous story, Blaze Winter. Blaze, thanks for stopping by, man. And you know what? We knew we, I interviewed you maybe seven years ago, wasn't it, Blaze? Yes, it was. Um, I'm really happy to be with you. Absolutely. Let's talk about you know your biggest highlights of your career in the NFL, Blaze. What would you say they were? Well, <laughs> um, laid on top of Joe Montana. I mean, it, it's always nice to hear a quarterback squeal um, and and to, to hear him lose breath as I laid on top of him. I, I really enjoyed that, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> Good, Greg. That's crazy. Blaze, when did you get excited about being in the NFL when you were a kid? Now, I know you guys. Let me just say one thing. I know you guys don't believe that story, but when I was a Packer player, and we returned to uh, Lambeau after beating the 49ers, and they were coming off of a world title the year before, and I'm sitting in my locker at Lambeau Field, and uh, one of my teammates said, look. And he showed me a newspaper, and at, in that newspaper was when I sat Joe Montana, and underneath uh, there was a caption about uh, breaking two of his ribs. So, uh, and a lot of people don't believe uh, when they first hear it uh, because they, they, you know, they, they believe that I'm trying to stretch the truth, but... Um, you know, those are some of the fondest memories. Obviously, playing with Junior Seau was another 
amazing uh, uh, time in my life and, you know, being a part of a Super Bowl with the Chargers. And, and there's so many, it's hard to just name one. It makes complete sense, Blaze. When I want to go back to the question is, now that Super Bowl, was it a fond memory for you, even though it was you lost that Super Bowl? Well, you know, we, you know losing is, is, you know, the taste right afterwards is not what you want. Um, many days or weeks or months later, you realize that you did something with a group of guys that was um, rather special and, and, and um you know, those are the members you hold on to. I mean, you look at the AFC ring, even though we lost to the Niners, uh, you look at it and you say to yourself, I mean, this is, uh, there's only a handful of men on this earth that have uh, achieved that. So I'm, I was glad to be part of the journey. Uh, Bobby Ross was uh, an amazing uh, head coach. And um, the people I played with, um, uh, you know, based on means, uh, um, Stan Humphrey, Junior Seau, Wesley O'Neill, uh, um, you know, they've been just amazing athletes all around you. So later on, after you, after you sort of get over the initial, uh, we got whipped, uh, you feel good about having a chance to be, uh, in, in the dance at the very end. And, and, um, I'll, I'll always remember that in a fun way. Go ahead, Greg. What question you have for him? Yeah, well, I'm going to ask my first question again, Blaze. When did you decide to get into football when you were a kid, and when did you know that you were going to be in the NFL? Well, you know, football for me when I was a kid was a way out. And I'm not saying a way out of, you know, the ghetto. I'm not saying a way out of trouble. It was a way out of personal misery. I mean, when you're, when you're born – with a hole in the middle of your face and you don't know how to handle it and everybody else is looking at you as you walk down the school hallways in a rather strange way and you can't really hold a conversation with them because you haven't learned how to speak until you're going to get to high school level. Your life is tough and, and you magnify that. As a young person, you turn it into a, a mountain and, and you make it almost a life and death situation. And football was a way out for me. It was a way to capture what was in my mind. And what was in my mind is, hey, man, I belong out here. And nobody asked me to you know, open my mouth. Nobody asked me to look pretty. Nobody asked me to sound like a movie star. Uh, I was able to put on a helmet with a lot of bars across my face, put that helmet on, strap it up, and I was like everybody else until the end of the game, I was better than anybody else. So for me, it was a neutralizer to those that were Hollywood in the hallways, for those that were, you know, GQ in the hallways. Yeah, I may never, you know, ended up with the girl that I wanted in high school, but I ended up with an amazing woman many years later that I've had by my side for you know thirty plus years. So, you know, football was a way out of the personal misery uh, that I created in my life because I wanted to look Hollywood. I wanted to sound like a movie star. I wanted to be something special when I walked down the hallways. Uh, but I realized that um, it wasn't what happened in the hallway, so it happened on the football field. Yeah, and that's that's such an amazing story, Blaze. And you talked to me before, that story still is out there, right? You've had some conversations with people and stuff like that, and this has not disappeared, the, the amazing story that you had to overcome to be in the NFL. Well, the Wolver family um, has a, a production team, and they've contacted me recently about Try to get this thing on the on on the screen uh, in the movies. Um, I, I felt like what when they called me about two months ago, and I had a conversation with one of the the, the people in the production team. Uh, I I just was blown away with me, and they said, "Yeah, you're you're a true life Rocky story." And somehow they did their research and they found that. 
you've gone through a lot. And, um, you know, I'd much rather have uh, your listeners see me as I talk, but I'm really happy to be with you. And, and uh, maybe one day people will realize that I'm a fighter. I'm not going to lay down for anybody. I'm not going to roll up and just wilt away and die. I'm going to make a name for myself because I choose to. And uh, no matter if it's on a football field or um, writing a book or just being in front of a a bunch of uh, high school athletes, um, I'm going to have an impact on lives. And, um, you know, the mission is uh, what it is. And, And I've lived that mission for many, many years. Well, that's amazing, Blaze. I, I love that story. It's very inspiring to hear. Do you ever get out to be able to talk to youth or other organizations to try to help other kids that might be dealing with uh, maybe not as the same circumstance, but other circumstances to inspire and encourage them, bring them along in life? The NFL opened that door for me. I, I really thought it was like, who's going to ask me to do, you know, share my story uh, and, and I was wrong. A lot of people asked me, as soon as my career was uh, over and I had a book, there's a book out there called A Reason to Believe. I, uh, the um, co-author um, uh, uh, wrote the, the Jack Payne story. Uh, they called me an assassin. Uh, um, and and uh, Bill Kushner um, uh, co-wrote the book. And I... I, I you know, I went out on a circuit and people were, were amazed at, you know, hearing the story. And the NFL is the reason the doors open. And, and I've been in front of over 3,000 groups and then I stopped counting because I thought it was funny that the helmet now was off. You know, the bars were covering my face. People were staring at me as they sat in these convention rooms. Um, wanted to know well, what's your secret and uh, you know i had to expose myself in so many words and i had to do the same thing with the with the book i mean people don't know the hardships i went through as a child uh besides uh the hole in my face the domestic violence that i went through in my household uh, my father wasn't a nice man he came over to his country on the bottom of a freighter he was divided from eight brothers and sisters. And why did he run to the U.S.? Because the Nazis were after my grandfather. And imagine what kind of person that was, my father. Uh, uh, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't real nice. He was very cautious. And he was very concerned about day-to-day life. So I had to share these things to the audiences that I would be in front of. No matter if it was a high school group, elementary, corporate America, but it, it started to avalanche. I mean, it rolled. I mean, I went on to have a 14 years of doing 125 talks a year. This is a kid that wasn't able to speak well enough to be understood in middle school. Oh. I mean, I was in speech therapy my junior year of high school try to pronunciate apple the right way and 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 people know none of this all they know is oh look at you you're a great football player so you have to open your mouth to the group and the helmet's not hiding your ugliness it's really hard at first and then you realize almost like the high school pep rally you realize i got to say something and you just let it go and you learn to be fearless you learn to be fearless. Neil, you know what I'm talking about. You learn to be fearless in your approach. And, and that's why you wanted me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Greg has a final question. He asks all the celebrities, Blaze. Go ahead, Greg. All right, Blaze. You're an amazing guy. I've, I've enjoyed this so much. And, you know, you really touched my heart with your life and your story. But let me ask you this question. Blaze, what do you feel is the most important thing in life that you've ever learned? to understand that can't do it alone. People have to start to build back to one another uh, the understanding that they're important. 
they're important to the journey that you are, are in and on. You can't do this alone. My mother was there. My father in his own bizarre way was there. My coaches were there. At Syracuse University, there was a four-wheel drive. Three other guys that were part of my success that also went on to the NFL. Amazing story for another day. But it's about people, and it's about understanding how to trust other people and judge other people. My mom always said this to me. My mom said to me, only judge another human being over a period of time where you have time to evaluate if they really are who they are, you'll know who to what, use and have, you can help from. And, and, and I- Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.